0: Mailbag Monday is here, and we are talking all about recruits for 2023 and 2024, what this Gonzaga team needs to do to finish number one overall yet again, what skill I would add to a player on this roster, Gonzaga's history with two point guard lineups, and more, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Podcast Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. Terms and conditions apply. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. As we head into August, we are over 800 subscribers on YouTube. A tremendous, tremendous number. I sincerely appreciate every single one of you. The goal is 1,000 we are over 80% of the way there, but if you are listening to this and you have not done so yet, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags. You'll see the channel there. Hit that subscribe button. Very much appreciated. All right, Mailbag Monday rolls on deep into the off-season. Tons of excellent questions today. In fact... So many questions that we are doing a spillover mailbag episode on Tuesday. So if you are listening to this and you asked a question and you did not hear it at the end of the episode, check back in on Tuesday's episode. I have more questions, mostly about realignment, all tailored towards Tuesday's episode. For now, we'll start with this question from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, The Zags have been successful with two point guard lineups in the past, Nembhard and Suggs, Williams, Goss, and Perkins. What might that look like for the upcoming season? Yeah, the Zags have made the national championship game twice, both years that they made the national championship game. They started effectively two point guards, Josh Perkins, Nigel Williams, Goss in 2017, of course, and then Andrew Nembhard and Jalen Suggs. Nembhard did not begin that season as a starter, but he took over for Anton Watson about halfway through the year and became a starter after that. I do think we're going to see a lot of that. It kind of depends how Mark Few and the Zags deploy Malachi Smith. I think that's kind of the big question mark. Uh, Looking at this roster right now, there's one very clear pure point guard. He's a facilitator, distributor, plays the point guard position the way that the point guard position has traditionally been played. That is, of course, sophomore guard Nolan Hickman. Uh, But again, Rasir Bolton was a point guard when he transferred to Gonzaga out of Iowa State. He played point guard for Penn State. He played point guard at Iowa State. He came to Gonzaga. He didn't play point guard. So I don't think that we should assume that, that a guy like Malachi Smith coming in is necessarily going to play the point. But there's really no other traditional point guards on the roster outside of again Hickman, Hunter Salas is not a point guard, Dominic Harris isn't really a point guard, Bolton again I would be surprised if the Zags shifted him back to playing more of a point guard role that seems that wouldn't make a lot of sense considering how efficient he was in his off-ball role last season. So Malachi Smith's kind of your your primary option. Smith Doesn't look as traditional as a point guard, but he was, he reminds me a lot of Ryan Woolridge. And I've made this comparison on this show a couple of times. Woolridge was a true point guard at North Texas, but he was also the team's leading scorer. And he was, he he filled that role mostly out of necessity. North Texas needed him to be the, the best scorer. He was the best offensive player on that team. So he did a lot of the scoring. Malachi Smith scored 20 points per game at Chattanooga, not because he's, unable to pass the ball or because he's not a true point guard and he's actually a shooting guard, but because he was the best player on the team. So he did most of the scoring. I think the Zags probably identified him because they have seen that progression succeed at Gonzaga. Ryan Woolridge obviously scored less points per game in his lone season in Spokane, but he was much more efficient scorer around the rim, a much, much more efficient scorer from beyond the arc. And he was still a traditional point guard. He was still the facilitator and, he was still passing the ball. He was still running the offense. I think that we're probably going to see that with Malachi Smith, but I do think we're going to see lineups where Hickman comes into the game and Malachi Smith shifts over to a more traditional combo guard role, which is what the Zags did when Andrew Nembhard came into the game. Suggs, instead of playing the point guard, he then shifted to more of an off-ball role. I expect to see that this year with the Zags. I expect to see that with Hickman and Malachi Smith. I don't expect we'll see much of Dom or Razier or, or uh, Hunter Salas' care handling the basketball in a traditional point guard role. But I think those two guys will do it. And I do think we'll see them both in the game at the same time. Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, North Carolina just lost a significant incoming player who instead will go to South Carolina. Could this be enough to make it so Gonzaga is the number one team for the third season in a row? Yeah, Gigi Jackson is the name of the guy here. He It has kind of been rumored for a while that he was going to attempt to reclassify and that he was going to potentially not end up going to North Carolina. South Carolina was always kind of the expected place for him to go. It's where he's from. And so I I don't think this was a shock most people in the North Carolina Kind of landscape. We're expecting this for weeks before it was officially announced. Uh, Frankly, this doesn't really move the needle for me. Not because Gigi Jackson isn't good; he's extremely good, but because I think I I don't think Gigi Jackson's impact on the 2022 roster should be the difference between Gonzaga or North Carolina being number one. I think there's a legitimate argument for both teams. Genuinely I do. I'm going to pick Gonzaga, but obviously I'm a little bit of a homer. But this isn't what moved the needle for me. And I think for a lot of people who have either who at this point have already kind of decided whether they think Gonzaga or North Carolina is the number 1 team, I don't think this changes their mind all that much. Certainly it impacts North Carolina's roster. It's one less player. It's depth just like the question said. It's it's losing a depth piece. That's never good. But I don't think, it. to me, it's not enough for me to move the needle. If I was still picking Gonzaga to be number one, I haven't changed my mind. If I was still picking North Carolina to be number one, I don't think this would change my mind on still having the Tar Heels in that spot. Next question comes from Dad Risk on Twitter. He says, has GU ever had a four-year player who was in the actual rotation for all four years but was never a full-time starter in any of those years? I'm thinking about Anton and how much of a rarity that is to have a guy like that, assuming he doesn't start. Yeah, we're making the assumption that Anton's not going to start for the entirety of his senior year. That could happen. <laughs> Mark Few loves to start seniors. He loves to reward program guys. I think that's a an admirable quality in coach Few. I think it's especially in this day and era with with so many players transferring, I think it's important to reward the guys who stick around in your program. So while I think Gonzaga's best lineup involves Anton coming off the bench, I wouldn't be shocked to see him begin the year in the starting lineup, whether it's Timmy, Watson, Strother, and then some combination of your five guards, probably Malachi Smith and Rasir Bolton, in which case you're not starting either of the sophomore guards. I think that's kind of tough. But again, Mark Few's going to have some tough decisions to make. You only start five guys. They got nine guys who arguably could start on this team or most teams in college basketball. To answer the question, I looked into it a little bit. Uh, It's tough. It's hard to find. I think it's worth pointing out that Anton Watson has started games in his career. He's actually started 22 games. He started five games as a true freshman. He started 17 games his sophomore year. That was 17 out of 32 games. So for one of his three seasons in Spokane, he was a starter more often than not. So I don't think, I I don't want to make sure we label Watson as a guy who never started. That's not true. He was a starter for a long period of time. Uh, Looking at this question, trying to find some guys who kind of fit in the closest that I that I realistically found was Kyle drain Guinness. For those who don't remember Kyle drain Guinness. Uh, He was at Gonzaga, I think, from 2010 to 2015, something like that, 2011 to 2015. I don't remember the exact years. I played 143 games for Gonzaga, and he made 35 starts. 25 of them came in his final season, though, so it doesn't really count because as a senior, he started far more often than he did not start. But again, we're talking about a guy who played 21 minutes per game for his career and only started 35 out of 143 games. That's pretty close (laughs) to counting... uh, in this question, I think a lot of other guys that we could talk about had the same the same development where they were backup, 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 and then all of a sudden they were starters. Sam Dowers a good example of this. Uh, Kyle Bankhead's a good example of this. David Pendergraf is a good example of this. Uh, Mike Hart maybe doesn't quite count because I don't think he wasn't a rotation player early in his career, but the Zags have had guys who have kind of built up into being bigger contributors at the end of their career, but often Mark Few starts them, and so I think that. This is a question worth monitoring as we get closer to the season. Everybody's assuming Anton Watson's going to come off the bench, but there's a lot of history that suggests Mark Few is going to give the, the senior a starting spot heading into his final year, likely his final year in Spokane. Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, what do you think Gonzaga needs to do to earn a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, which would be their fifth year in a row and sixth in the past seven years? And what about the number one overall seed in the tournament, which would be their third straight year with the number one overall seed? A shoot consistently from beyond the arc is kind of the biggest one. You know, Julian Strother is returning. He's a 39% three-point shooter. Rasir Bolton's returning. He was a 45% three-point shooter last year. Malachi Smith coming in. He's a 40% three-point shooter and has been very, very good throughout his career. So you have guys who can shoot. You have guys who can legitimately light it up. I think losing Chet Holmgren obviously hurts. Losing Andrew Nempard, who shot 38% last year, obviously hurts. But if those guys can be that good or better in a Gonzaga uniform. Malachi Smith could improve. We've seen guys come to Gonzaga and improve their outside shooting. Bolton is an example of that. Ryan Woolridge is an example of that. If Smith could be like a 45% three-point shooter, that would be unreal. If Julian Strother could be more consistent, that was an area we didn't see him show a lot of consistency last year. And then, of course, you you have your incoming sophomore guys, Hickman and Salas. If they improve as outside shooters... If one of the big man develops an outside shot, Drew Timmy, Anton Watson, Efton Reed, something none of those three guys really have currently. But if somebody in that group were to kind of be a more consistent outside shooter, I think that's a huge part of it. And then I think the other thing is just gelling early. It's hard to, I don't think it's a bad thing if Gonzaga has some tough luck losses earlier this season. If they lose to Michigan State, if they lose to Texas, if they lose in the PK-85. like I, I think that those kind of losses may help this team find their identity sooner and be better when March rolls around. But Gonzaga has so little wiggle room in their schedule. This is why it's so impressive that they have been the number one overall seed so many years in a row because you can't lose like at all. If you want to get that distinction, especially if you're in the WCC and so many of your games are not as competitive as they would be if you were in the the Big Ten or in the SEC or ACC or anything like that. So I don't think it's a bad thing if Gonzaga suffers some hard luck losses but they probably need to avoid them if they want to be the number one overall seed. So the, big, the best way to do that is to gel early to get all of the pieces put together as soon as the season starts, which is not an easy task to do, but something that Mark Few is going to be doing his best to have that that squad as, as ready as they can be early in the year, because they got some good ones right out of the shoots. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to talk recruiting while answering a handful more listener-submitted questions. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still any Patton. 80 Patton. Still locked on Zags, still rolling through Mailbag Monday here as we head into the final week of July. This next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says, if you could pick one Zag priority recruit to end up on the Zags, who would you pick and why? I am going with 2023 big man Xavier Booker. So Caden Cooper is the primary target for the Zags, the guy that I think is getting the most press the most conversation. He's a high-level dunker, very athletic kid, starting to display more elements of his game. I think he would be fantastic. But Xavier Booker is, is the prize. He's he's the big piece here in 2023. He is a 6'10 center who can handle the basketball like a guard. He's got great outside shooting ability. He's a good rim protector. If this all sounds familiar, it should. I spoke with Jason Jordan of Sports Illustrated. He's their lead recruiting analyst over there. He talked about how Booker is truly a unicorn. It kind of fits that description. Certainly Gonzaga is interested in that. Certainly Booker could be enticed to go to a program like Gonzaga that has had a player like this that churned out a guy like Chet Holmgren and put him as the number two overall pick in the draft. That would be my pick. Uh, Cooper would be excellent. Obviously, Mookie Cook would be excellent. If he were to, to, he's already decommitted for Oregon. If he were to turn around and come to Gonzaga, that would be outstanding. But if I had to pick, I'm taking Xavier Booker. I think he's a game changer. He's a really, really high impact, high level performer at that level. And I think he would be amazing in a Gonzaga uniform. Next question comes from Jackson at Jackson 27 on Twitter, who says, what three players in the class of 2024 would you like Gonzaga to pursue? And he says, I really like McNeely, Elohim, and Zoom Diallo. So I honestly, I I did some research on this class. I've already kind of picked out a few guys. Two of the guys that I picked out were already two guys that were listed here. That's Liam McNeely and Zoom Diallo. McNeely is 25th. In the class, according to 247 Sports' composite rankings. He's a six-foot-seven power forward from Florida. He went to Mount Verde Academy, the same high school as Philip Petrusev. Would be very, very fun to get him in a Gonzaga uniform. Zoom Diallo is 42nd on 247's composite rankings. He's a six foot three point guard from Tacoma. The Zags haven't recruited from the Seattle area all that much. Obviously, Corey Kispert is a recent counterexample to that. They have made many attempts. To recruit in this area, Palo in this area, Palo Banquero is obviously one of those attempts, and they've had some successes in years past. Stephen Gray is from around here, Micah Downs, although he was a transfer, Nigel Williams Goss, although he was also a transfer. Gary Bell, he was kind of kind of from this area, but haven't tapped into that market too much. So it'd be nice to get a high-level guy from Tacoma. And then my other option is, is similar in that regard as well. That's Jacob Kofi. He is 61st. According to 24-7 sports in that class, he's a six foot nine power forward and he's from Sammamish, went to East Side Catholic High School, which is a football powerhouse, but they have churned out some high-level basketball players as well. All right, next question comes from Dad Risk on Twitter, who says, if you could gift one player on the Zags one skill, to whom would you give it and what would it be? And he says, no three-point shot to Timmy. That's too obvious, though it may not be a bad call to give that to Anton either. Yeah, the Drew-Timmy three-point shooting was not actually going to be my pick, primarily because I don't think that... It Within the flow of Gonzaga's offense, it makes sense for Drew to be taking a lot of threes, so adding that to his game doesn't make a ton of sense for me. Now, Gonzaga doesn't really have any bigs who have consistent outside shooting. In the past, they have. Drew's always played with Chet Holmgren or Killian Tilly, and those guys can really stretch the floor. Not having that this year is a bit of an issue and is why I think Julian's going to play so much of the four so they can space the floor and give Timmy more room to operate down low, but it wouldn't be what I would add. What I would add, frankly, is shot blocking for Drew Timmy. The Zags do not have a rim protector on the roster. It is far and away the most glaring issue on this roster heading into next season. They don't have a Chet Holmgren. They don't have, Drew Timmy is not a shot blocker. He is an adequate low post defensive player. He's a little bit better as a low post defensive player than I think people give him credit for, but he's not a shot blocker. That has never really been a part of his game. And Efton Reed is a decent defensive big man. He's very good at moving his feet. He's very good at at hedging on pick and rolls. He's not much of a shot blocker either. And Anton Watson, we've talked at length about how great of a defensive player he is, but that's not really his strength either. So I would add shot blocking for Drew Timmy. If I had to pick something else, I would probably add shot blocking for Efton Reed just so that somebody on the team can be the guy who erases shots in the paint. Chet Holmgren had such a monumental impact on this team defensively just by being on the floor. Even in games where he only blocked one or two shots or maybe only played 22, 23 minutes, he had a massive impact because teams were afraid to go in the paint. They stopped short. They settled for more outside shots. The Zags don't have a player who kind of poses that kind of threat on this roster. Uh, if I had to pick something else, uh, just a couple other options, Hunter Salas' three-point shot is one. I think it's there, so I don't know that it needs to be added manually, but I do think that that's something that would elevate his game tremendously and give the Zags another outside shooting threat. And then Julian Strother's ability to draw contact and get to the free-throw line, kind of an area of weakness for him, and I think would help put uh, opposing bigs in foul trouble, would get juice some free points at the, at the free-throw line. I think it'd be a nice skill for him to have. But first choice, if I only get one, Drew Timmy shot blocking. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third segment and answer even more listener-submitted questions right after this. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still answering listener-submitted questions here for Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, Who says, who's the fourth best team in the WCC, assuming the Zags, St. Mary's, and BYU are the top three? Going off that, are there any teams below the top three that the Zags need to take seriously or face an unpleasant loss? Uh, I think BYU is the fourth best team in the WCC. I do not think that they are third. I think San Francisco is probably third. Uh, they they obviously lost Jamari Bouye. That's a huge loss. They lost Johan Misalski, their big man. That's a big loss. They lost their coach, Todd Golden, which is a big loss as well. But they're replacing with Chris Gerlison, staying on staff, going to have a similar highly analytical approach, which has worked for them in the past. They're returning Khalil Shabazz, which is outstanding. He's an all-WCC performer next season. You can book that. Right now, they added some high-level transfers. They have some up-and-coming guys. I think they're going to be very, very good. And I think Santa Clara and San Diego are going to be right in that conversation as well. It wouldn't stun me if BYU was as low as four, fifth, perhaps. Fourth, I think, is very likely. Fifth could happen. Uh, San Diego is, is kind of a, a dark horse team. They added a bunch of really good transfers. Jaden Delaire from Stanford, Eric Williams from Oregon. They're going to be a good squad. Steve Lavin, we'll see how he does in year one, but I think that that's an up-and-coming program. Santa Clara lost a ton of talent from last year, which is extremely unfortunate to lose Jalen Williams, to lose P.J. Pipes, uh, to u- to lose Yusuf Vrankic. It's going to be tough for them, but they, they have continued to be a-, a quality program in the WCC for a while, and I think they're going to be in that conversation as well. Uh, so USD and Santa Clara are my specific choices, but the Zags should take everybody seriously. They should not uh, ever be taking a game off completely. Yeah, pacific and some of the other teams it's, it's a little bit easier to, to, to uh, not have to prepare as much for those games but you got to take everybody seriously next question comes from christian via gmail christian says if you could design your own alternate basketball uniform for the zags what would it look like uh, if you saw the video or the the any pictures or videos of adam morrison in the 2005-2006 the red alternates just those just those i'm not changing them those look great i think the zag should be wearing those more uh, i like the all red i know that gonzaga's official colors are blue and white and so i think there's some pushback on having so much red even though they've always had red as a part of the uniform they're red white and blue that's why they are named america's team uh, on espn a handful of times uh, i think this is a i think this is i'm not a big uniform guy if i'm being completely honest and i think that. um The red alternates were as good as it got for Gonzaga, so let's just stick with those. Let's just bring those back, put them back on the team, uh, and kind of see what it looks like uh, with a more modern flair. Next question comes from Jeff on Gmail. Jeff says, in the past four years, the Gonzaga women have been seeded number eight. They would have been a four or five seed in 2020. They were a five seed in 2021 and an eight seed in 2022. What do you think about the Gonzaga women's chances of continuing their run of single-digit seeds in the 2023 tournament? Yeah, it's strong. They Obviously, they lost a lot of talent. Sierra Walker, Abby O'Connor, they're both playing professionally now. Um, Melody Kempton is out the door. They added a transfer from Utah and Brenna Maxwell. Maxwell scored double-digit figures all three seasons that she was at Utah, so she is going to come in and score right away for the Zags. She's a, a very good outside shooter, so she's kind of replacing Sierra Walker in that way, but I think the big difference is that Maxwell's about five inches taller than Sierra Walker. Coach Lisa Fortier on a recent episode of Locked on Zags, she spoke how Maxwell is going to be posted up a little bit more. is uh, going to have a little bit different role, but still somebody they're going to count on to score a lot of points. Uh, Fortier also talked, this episode was a couple weeks ago, if you haven't checked it out, highly recommend it. Coach Fortier was awesome. Really, really glad I got a chance to speak to her. She also talked about Yvonne Ejim who was a sophomore last year, came off the bench, but was very clearly one of the best players on Gonzaga's roster. Coach talked about why she they had her in a bench role. They thought it just made more sense with the starters that they had. Uh, but she's going to be a starter next year. They're expecting a very big jump from her, uh, probably somewhat similar to what happened with Melody Kempton, who was a backup and then stepped in and became – who was a she was the sixth woman of the year and then stepped in and was an all-WCC performer. Ejim was sixth woman of the year last year. She's probably going to step up and be an all-WCC contributor – as well. And of course, you still have the Trung twins who have continued to get better and better every season. They have been in Spokane. They will be ready next year as well. I think this is going to be a very good team. And I think they're going to continue that streak of being single digits in the NCAA tournament. Next question. Final question of the show comes from Jacob Quarter two on Twitter, who says, what was the best nickname for a Gonzaga basketball player? What about the cringiest? Yeah. So I had to think about this for a while. I'm not there's not a lot of really great or really bad nicknames in Gonzaga history. I'm sure that I am forgetting some, so I'm going to just say this now. If you are thinking of questions, or or sorry, if you are thinking of nicknames that I did not mention, that I maybe didn't think about, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear them. This is something that I like. I love nicknames. I think it's fun, but I couldn't think of a lot of really good ones or bad ones for Gonzaga. I wasn't a huge fan of the Slim Reaper, which was a nickname that was occasionally thrown out for Chet Holmgren. Uh, Unicorn is obviously kind of basic (laughs) it's not that creative but whatever i didn't mind that he was called the unicorn didn't particularly love the slim reaper i think trying to draw attention to a 19-year-old's physical body is just kind of odd and not something that I'm particularly interested in, although I understand why he earned that nickname. Uh, Ammo hasn't aged all that well for Adam Morrison. Uh, For those who haven't kind of seen, there's been a few players uh, as a quarterback at Florida, Anthony Richardson, and then Austin Reeves, who plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. Both of them at one point had the nickname AR-15, and they have both come out very recently and said, I do not want to be called that anymore. I would like that to not be my nickname because of the association with automatic weapons and and what has happened in our country lately. Uh, So Ammo, I I mean, it's Adam Morrison. I get why he was called that. I think that being upset about that is a little bit silly. Uh, It's obviously also a 15, 20-year-old nickname for Adam Morrison, so it doesn't really matter now. Uh, it's just also just not that creative of a nickname. Uh, some of the other ones, I, I mean, I like Dower Power. I like that for Sam. I just loved Sam as a, as a basketball player and as a person as well. So that was always one that was very fun. Uh, Olinic Clinic, same type of deal. It wasn't really his nickname as much as like what you described him doing on the floor. So I don't know if that counts. KO for Kelly Olenek as well. Pretty boring. A lot of the other ones are just kind of boring. Shem. Domas. Like, I don't even know if those really count. Carno, also for Shem. J3 or J, J Will for Jonathan Williams. Again, I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but those are kind of some of the more basic ones that I can remember. Some of them are are good. Some of them are kind of cheesy. I think nicknames are generally cheesy, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with cheesy nicknames. That, there's nothing wrong with that. That's kind of the, the fun of... Sports fandom is getting to come up with creative nicknames or not-so-creative nicknames for your favorite players. Again, if you're thinking of any that I haven't thought of, please, please shoot it to me in a a message on Twitter, at ScoreZagScore. I love remembering nicknames, so I'd be happy to see any of those. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Again, if you asked a question and you did not hear it answered, specifically if it was about realignment or schedules or something like that, it's going to be in Tuesday's show. We're going to talk all about... The rest of the the questions that were answered, we're going to talk about PK-85 and the schedule that came out for that, so check that out on Tuesday right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Hit that subscribe button if you have not done so yet. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening and goes eggs.